0: Jim Moore is now live. Guess we are. Yeah, it showed up here on Facebook. Yeah. Always having technical difficulties. I look at my cell phone there and there's a time delay. I see myself staring at myself. <laughs> Is it working? Okay. All right, it says we're live on YouTube and Facebook. All right. We're live five by five. All right. King of Kings, part four. Let me read to you this greeting again, chapter one, verse four through six. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, or the ruler of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, released us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings of, our kingdom, priest unto God and His Father. To Him be glory dominion forever and ever. Amen. Remember, this is the greeting that we're getting here from the everlasting God. Now, we've looked at it uh, from the viewpoint of Him, which is, was, and is to come. And we looked at it from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, Today I want to look at it from firstborn or first begotten of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So in order to understand what this is saying, you've got to see it as the, as the firstborn of the dead and the, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Those, those terms are related. And this is, uh, this is, uh, just trying to explain something here. You've, I don't know if people get this or not. I know you guys do. You notice the New Testament relates to the Old Testament. When the writers of the New Testament wrote, they assumed you knew the Old Testament. Uh when Jesus said it's written in the scriptures, whenever anybody said it was written in the scriptures, Paul didn't pull out, pull out the book of Ephesians and say it's right here. Their scriptures was the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old, the Old Testament. That's what they had. That was the early church Bible. That's all they had. So these people were saturated. John, he was a he was a, a Jew, a Hebrew. They were saturated in the Old Testament. I mean that's I mean you gotta understand this. Today our kids are saturated in iPhones and 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 nonsense. They were saturated in the Old Testament. So when the writers of the New Testament wrote, they w- they often made references back to the Old Testament assuming you already knew what they were talking about. They could have squ- quote a scripture and th- since you were so saturated in it, you knew what they were talking about. So they just assumed you, you knew. So as you begin to read the New Testament... If you know the Old Testament, it's like the lights are turning on. You, you see, aha. Uh-huh. You're like, hey, I've heard that before. And one of the things that uh, was so different, and, and people don't get this today, okay? I'm just trying to explain this. When you read the Old Testament, there was an expectation in the Old Testament uh, they had the Old Testament and, and all these little bits of revelation that they had of who God was, who His Messiah would be. Well, they had the law. They had all of these promises and all these blessings, but they couldn't get to them. But it was told to them that, that one day one would come. So they had this, this hope. They had uh, 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 this expectation That one was going to come. I mean, even in the New Testament writers, they said Isaiah longed for a day. Abraham longed for a day. But most people today are still right back in the old. So most of their sermons uh, that come out of the Old Testament aren't teachings of fulfillment. But it's, you know, hope deferred. I'll say it that way. Hope deferred. So there's a great expectation here. And and as we go through this, I think you'll see. I mean, this greeting is coming from the one who's the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, the ruler. I mean, who is this guy John is writing about? Who is this guy that's given us this greeting? Now remember, John, we've, we've looked at this Most of the writers, their audience was Jewish, Hebrew. Paul wrote to Gentiles. But when John wrote John's epistles, John's gospel, John was sent to the Jews. Peter wrote to the Jews. (coughs) James wrote to the Jew. Paul wrote to the Gentiles. That's why their, their, their epistles seem a little bit different. Because these people John and Peter wrote to, they assumed you knew the scriptures. So John is writing the book of Revelation. Who's John's audience? Not a bunch of Gentiles. Jewish people. So that's why when Gentiles get a hold of the book of Revelation, they're way out. They don't even have a clue what he's talking about. But John is writing to people when he said things. Mentioned the tabernacle and the temple and the feast and the offerings and, and all of these things. These Jewish people, they would, uh uh-huh, it would click together. So when he says... And from Jesus Christ, who was the faithful witness, they would have an idea. And, <laughs> and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. <clears throat> so, when you keep looking at the Old Testament, there's an echo, when you, you know, back there in the Old Testament. And, and when the New Testament is, is the, the writers of the New is writing, you see it. Echoed back in the Old Testament. Everything. If you can't go back to the Old Testament. And see it echoed back there. You have missed it. You've missed it. That's why I always tell people. that When they'll come up with these strange doctrines. I say well where is that in the Old Testament. Because these guys didn't make up some new doctrine. And say okay throw the whole Old Testament away. Now it's all different. They said ah the Old Testament is fulfilled. I mean that's. That's it. You know, he didn't say he was going to do away with the law. He was going to fulfill the law. So I, I asked people, you've got this, these doctrines. Where is that in the Old Testament? You know, a strange question, and uh, not to tick anybody off, but where's the rapture in the Old Testament? Because John and him didn't write us something new. So if you can find it in the Old Testament, I might buy it. And let me tell you this. Uh... When, when you go back to the, to the uh, Old Testament, it explains what the New Testament writer is saying. It, 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 it just, boom, it, it comes together. And the reason it does that is because the same writer wrote both books. Now, who was the writer of the Old Testament? Holy Spirit. Who's the writer of the New Testament? Holy Spirit. Because I read, all Scripture is given... By inspiration of God. He might have used John and Isaiah and Samuel to, to write and Peter, but same author. So these they, they aren't two separate things. So this is one case in, in question, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now what is he saying right here? Where does this come from? Have you heard this before? The first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth. Have you heard this in the Old Testament? Is it anywhere in the Old Testament? If I was to go search, would, it, would, would John be quoting something here from the Old Testament? Or is he making up something new? Well, go to Psalms 89. I'm going to start at verse 24. Of this a psalm here, "But my faithfulness and my mercy has said, my covenant, a loving kindness shall be with him." So, so the writer of this psalm is talking about a uh, him, right? He's talking about somebody. He's not talking about you and me. He's talking about this one person, this him, who says, My faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn or his power be exalted. So he's telling us something about somebody. I will set his hand also in the sea and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. So whoever this one is, his horn is going to be exalted. This one is going to have power. And he's going to be my son. He's going to cry to me, my father, you're the rock of my salvation. And the writers, look at verse 27. Also, I will make him my firstborn. Higher than the kings of the earth. or, Or over. You know, Paul wrote... In Ephesians, that he's ascended far above. Where did he get that? Did he just make it up? I mean, these guys knew Psalm 89. So they're just quoting the psalmist here. So they're not making up something new. He says, I will make him my firstborn. Whoever this one is, I'm going to make him my firstborn. And he's going to be higher over ruler of the kings of the earth. That gives us a clue what John was talk- who John was talking about, this hymn. Now, see, uh, you remember I told you when I was talking to my friend, I said, you don't know him. A lot of people don't know him. They don't know who the hymn is. They might have a name to it. There's, you know, uh, I love what Malcolm told me. He said, everybody comes and tells me about Jesus, but I always say, which Jesus are you talking about? There's a lot of Jesuses. Which one are you talking about? And that's the reason it's so separate. That's the reason we got all of this Bible because it's, it's making it so that, that the case can be clear. It's this one. It's Him. I mean, this Bible, I mean, these promises and stuff in there, yeah, they're for me, but I mean, this Bible testifies of Him. So John is quoting from Psalm 89, verse 20, telling he's telling us something about the Lord Jesus. And, and he, he's taken these two titles here. That's what they are, titles. The, the first title being the firstborn and the other, the, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's taken them from the Old Testament and he's given them to Jesus. And he's saying, Jesus is the one that this psalmist is writing of. This one right here. He's it. And I know this is, this is so important Uh, I wish people could get a hold of this. You know, there is peace of God that passes understanding. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Uh, Just talking about this stuff, I mean... uh, There's a lot of anxiety out there in the world. There's a lot of stuff. We were talking a little bit earlier. I mean, you're on the brink of war and and inflation and famines and pandemics and all kinds of stuff. I mean, you better know who the king or the rulers of all the kings of the world are. A lot of people, they say, well, Jesus is. But see, he's off over there ruling somewhere. I want a king that's ruling here now, that's in control now, that's... that's got it and unless you see that man you're you you have no assurance i mean part of that he'll be the rock of my salvation i mean what is that the rock of my salvation uh You understand I mean I mean if you don't know that, that's why people you know I said earlier, you'll know the truth, the truth will make you free. People don't have that people don't have that. they still have this great separation, this same anxiety, so people come to church and they hope the Holy Spirit shows up a little while and they can rejoice and then and then all of a sudden when they leave church and then by Monday morning they'll be right back in the same old mess. And they have, no, they have no peace. They can't see who's really in charge. Even, even right now, what's going on? I mean, I, I look around and I, and, and I see house of cards, I'll call it, tumbling. Really, it's not house of cards. It's a house built on the sand. You see it crumbling down. You see the very things the Lord Jesus had said uh, uh, that he would, he would shake heaven also. I mean, you see these things. You see the exposure of all of the, the nonsense coming about. And, and you go back and you think, well, what, what can I believe anymore? You know, on the news, it's all lies, it's lies, it's lies, it's lies. Now it means so much when I hear the Lord Jesus say, I am the truth. Here's this one. He's it. Here, here's the reality. He's in and he's, he's the first begotten of the dead and he's ruler. He's higher than all the kings of the earth. I mean, that brings us to the question. I want you to go back and I want you to think, what, who was David talking about here? I mean, go back and look at it from from the psalmist's point of view here. What's he talking about? Imagine yourself over there. And all of a sudden it comes to you and you write it on the paper. This one is going to be uh, the king of kings. He's going to be ruler over all nations. Wow. Now David was speaking of a promise God had made to him. And you can read those circumstances of that promise we won't go there tonight but um, or today in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and 1 Chronicles 13 a promise that was given to David it's called I don't know if you guys ever studied it the Davidic covenant special covenant that God had entered into with David he made this great promise with, with David that there would come one one of David's descendants now get this That would sit upon the throne and rule over the entire world. Think about that. One of your grandkids, you don't know which one yet, you can't see them. You're you're a young man. One of your grandkids is going to sit on a throne that is higher than all of the thrones you can imagine and rule the entire world. What a promise. When God made that promise to David, he could hardly contain himself. He he knew exactly what God was saying. Now, all the way back in Genesis, man, Adam and Eve, they'd just fallen. they have just believed the lie. God, I don't know if you knew this or not, God has given Adam and Eve space to repent. He gave them a chance to repent. They refused. And he tells them of of the judgment that's going to come. But then right in the middle of that, he says, the woman, the seed of the woman, this woman is going to conceive, and the seed of that woman will destroy the head of the serpent. Now, see, most of the times when we read the Bible, I mean, we just... Those are just little things that kind of pass along. But I mean, imagine you're there. And she's given a promise that her seed would crush the head of this snake. I mean, this is the very first promise given in the Bible. And you know what? It was given without conditions. He didn't say, look, woman, if you be good and pray every day, and pay and pay your tithes and fast then i'll give you a child and he'll no as a matter of fact it's almost a ps you're going to have a son a descendant and he'll be my seed and he will crush the he'll crush the head of the serpent whether you like it or not because man had just refused to repent and God says, it doesn't really matter. I'm coming in and I'm going to do this. I mean, you go read the book of Genesis. God says, I will, I will, I will. I don't care whether you like it, whether you're for it, whether you voted me in, I will. I'm going to do this. And God is saying, all the way back in Genesis, there's going to be a certain person born. Right here in Genesis, who's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to be called thy seed. He shall be born of a woman. That's that's so important. Because no man is mentioned here. It's the seed of the woman. In the Old Testament, we're given genealogies. And the genealogies always go through the man. I mean, when you look, just to give you an example. It says, Jacob begat Joseph. Do you know what that really means, Begat? It means Jacob gave birth to Joseph. You tell me of a guy, of course it's possible nowadays, read People magazine. Yeah, guys can have babies. Yeah, right. Weirdos. Oh, you can't say weirdo. Maybe they're all Hebrews. Yeah, maybe they're all Hebrews. It always went through the woman. Or uh, uh, it always went through the man. That's what I mean to say. So he says, "This one whose genealogy is going to come through the woman. He shall crush. He'll, he'll crush the head of Satan. He's going to smash him." So they waited years and years and years, centuries for this to happen. This is why I told you they rejoiced over a man child, over a baby boy being born, because every woman that gave birth. To a boy thought, this may be the one. She thought the first child she had was Cain. He's it. She rejoiced. You know, you had to go on and read. Then there's Abel. Then there's finally Seth comes on the scene. But they're all rejoicing over these boys. And, And so they waited. And then finally here comes the flood. Now this promise is still hanging there. Noah and his three sons and their wife, imagine 5,000 years ago, there's only eight people left in the world. The human race consisted of eight people, and they all believed in God. A lot of people don't believe in a real flood, but Jeff sent me a great video, and yes, I listened to the whole thing. That thing is awesome on, on the flood, the very natural side of it. And I had in my mind many things. I'd never heard that video before, but it, it was right in line. And I thought, well, now I'm going to teach on that. Tell me the Grand Canyon's 8 billion years old. Grand Canyon happened in a few days when the great deep broke up. Anyway, Noah had three sons. One of those sons' name was Shem. It would be through, through Shem. Uh, he had two other sons, Ham and Japheth, and they went, they went their way. Japheth went his. Now, Shem had many sons, but one of his sons was a man named Terah. Now, Terah had a number of sons, but he had a son named Abram. Now, you got to understand this. We read the Bible and we don't even think about it. These guys worship the moon. Abraham, Abram and his dad, Terah, went up into... They were in Persia. They looked they look like a bunch of... Saddam Hussein people. And they went up to an astrological temple filled with the signs of the zodiac all over it. Like, like, I mean, they had just come out of the Tower of Babel, which that's what that was. And they're worshiping the moon god. This is how far. (laughs) But yeah, there's a promise there. There's one coming. And then the God of glory appeared to Abram. And he says, Abram, in in you, in your seed, in your descendant, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So what was promised through Adam and Eve came through Noah, came through Shem, and now specifically through Abram. This one that will smash the head of the devil, and he shall bless all nations. Now Abram had many sons. But there would be one son through whom the promise would be, Isaac. Now, Isaac had twins. I mean, this just keeps getting a mess. He had Jacob and Esau. But the son of the promise would come through Jacob. Now, Jacob had a bunch of sons. He has got 12 sons. But through one of those sons, Judah, the promise would come. So we got... We got the promise made in Genesis, it goes through Noah, it goes through Shem, it goes through Abram, it goes through Isaac, it goes through Jacob, and then it goes through Judah. And finally one day Jacob is old. He's old and he brings his sons in before him, Genesis 49. And he lays his hands on his sons, he's going to bless his sons. And look, look what he says here. Genesis chapter 49 verse 8, Judah comes before him, Jacob's old, he's about blind, he lays his hands on Judah and he says, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise, thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Remember the promise. He's going to crush the head of the serpent, the enemy. And he says, Judah, your hand shall be in the neck of thine enemy. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp, From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he cast as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh means the worthy one. Until the one who is worthy comes. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. I mean, now put yourself in, in, in their heads. Put, your, put yourself in the minds of being of the family of Judah. What a heritage you've got. I mean, you go back and you look at your parents and you look at your grandparents. I mean, you got Isaac. I mean, how many times the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and now the God of Judah. I mean, man, this is the tribe. This is it. Shem and Noah, and and, and through us, through our tribe, through our people, through Judah, through me, one day will come. And and, and this line of the tribe of Judah, through him, he's going to crush Satan's head and bless all nations. Now there's many families in Judah. It was a big tribe, big strong tribe. Which one will it be? And again, every mother in the tribe of Judah that gave birth to a son wondered, is this the promised one? That's why they celebrated so much. They get this. They had a promise. Is he it? In fact, according to the old man Jacob here, he says he's going to be the first king of Israel. He's going to come from Judah. Because God had said, the king would rule over his people. It would come from Judah. Now Israel, you know, they didn't have a king. First, when they became a people, Moses ruled ruled over them. They had Moses, the prophet. Then the judges ruled over them, ending in Samuel. They didn't have a king, so they waited. They waited. I mean, do you get this? This went on for hundreds and hundreds of years. They're waiting. Every time when they brought that little baby up to the, to the temple at the time before David, up to Shiloh to be circumcised, they're thinking, is he the one? Is he the one? Is he it? All they had to do was wait till they're a teenager, and then they realized. Probably not. So Israel, like us, they get tired of waiting get tired of weight. They say to God, give us a king. They go to Samuel, you know, give us a king. We want to look like all the other nations. I mean, they all got a king. Egypt's got a king. All these other places they got a king. When well, these other kings come down to our nation and they say, we want to talk to your king. We say, well, our king's invisible. Yeah. You guys are a bunch of weirdos. They say, give us a king. We need a king so that, so when the other kings come, we can, we can talk. And, It's embarrassing. Our God's invisible. So God says, have it your way. You'll regret it. You know, sometimes the worst judgment God can give us is give us what we want. So God says, you'll have Saul. Well, wait a minute. Saul's from the wrong tribe. Saul's from the tribe of Benjamin. I I mean, that should have been a clear sign to Israel to say, time out. We got these prophecies here. We know the king of Israel, the real king is supposed to come through Judah. We got the scriptures. Wait a minute. But they said, well, any king will do, even though he's from this little this little little tribe, I mean Benjamin was nothing. They had been about wiped out. They got Saul. All of Judah don't really recognize Saul as being king because you're the tribe of Judah. Now, remember, God has already said through your grandpa that one of your kids is going to be the king, and all Israel's over here saying, Well, we got Saul. Well, he's from Benjamin. Uh uh-uh. uh. Can't be. Now, you guys know this story of Saul, terrible. But Samuel knows, old prophet Samuel, he knows he's got to come and anoint God's real king of Israel. Everybody in Judah waits. I mean, every time this guy showed up, is it, I mean, what's he here for? Is it my boy? Finally, one day, Samuel comes to an elder, one of the city fathers of Bethlehem. Name was Jesse. I can just get in the mind of Jesse. You know, why is the prophet here? What's it? You know, what's he doing here? And Samuel says to him, bring your boys. Oh, finally. Bring your boys out. I want to see them. He brings them out. Here they come, man, strapping strong young men, big, rough and tough. And they all march with their spears and swords in front of Samuel, each one. Each one stands there. Samuel says, nope. 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 Seven of them. They've all come, but Samuel looks at him and says, ain't you got anybody else? He says, well, I got a couple daughters. It's, no, no, this is, I don't want, I want a son here. Well, I got one runt. He's out in the field keeping the sheep. He's about 14, 15 years old. I didn't think you'd want him. He's kind of soft. I mean, he's, he's a poet. kind of smells you know he's out there with animals all the time he kind of stinks samuel says i don't care get him get him now so here comes david all of 15 years old they bring him to samuel and as uh, as soon as samuel sees him he raises up and he takes from under his robe this great horn of all that comes from the From the tabernacle, the sacred oil, this holy oil. And he goes over and pours it all over David's head. And he whispers in his ear, you're the one God has chosen to rule his people. You're the first young lion of the tribe of Judah. The scripture says from that day forward, the the spirit of the Lord came on David. And David, what did he do? Go up uh, to the castle and rule? No, he went back to the sheep. You just got anointed king. He goes back. He's 15. Imagine. But look what happened. God started maneuvering. You remember it wasn't long? Here comes Goliath. The whole setup. King Saul. They're all hiding in their tents. Goliath comes out every day, 40 days. David is shot into prominence. And then through all the times that Saul wanted to kill him and was so jealous and sought to kill David. And then finally uh, Saul commits suicide. Uh, David is crowned king of Judah. And then finally he's crowned king of Israel. And, And David establishes himself. And now he says, one day he says, I want to build a temple for God. I'd like to build God a house to live in. And so he's got this young prophet, Nathan. I'm just telling you the story. Nathan says, you know what, David, that's a good idea. Go for it. But the next morning he comes into David and says, you know what, God kept me up all night talking to me last night and said, no, you're not to build a house for God. Your son will do that. And it won't be a house of bricks. It'll be a house of people. And he said, the house of David, all your descendants, there there will be one sitting on the throne of Israel. On down through the ages, there'll be one, your descendant, David. He will be called my son. I'll be his father, your descendant. I will be to him a a father, and he will sit on your throne, on this throne, David, forever. David, hey, that's Shiloh. That's the seed of Abraham. That's the one that was spoken of to Eve. He's going to be one of my grandchildren. Imagine the excitement that David gets here. David just exploded into praise. He he couldn't get over it. As David meditated on this, I want you to understand that, that David, when he was writing these Psalms, often was meditating on who is this one going to be? What's he going to be like? Do you remember? I just... Do you remember when your kids, before they're born, do you ever sit and wonder what they're going to be like? What they're going to look like? What they're going to sound like? That's what David was doing, and he's meditating over this one who's told him would be king. And David says, man, I wonder what he's going to be like. I wonder what he's going to look like. I wonder what he's going to sound like. He wanted to know, uh, you know, what kind of king will he be? Will he be a good king? Will he, You know, what's he going to be? As David meditated, this is where we get a lot of the Psalms. He wrote the Psalms about what God told him concerning this king would be. In in Psalms 110, he, he tells us something here about this king on the day of his coronation. You know what the day of his coronation is? That's the day you're crowned. He talks about the coronation. And in Psalm 110 verse 4. He says on the, on the day he's crowned he'll be a priest. After the order of Melchizedek. Now. A king and a priest. Now I know we don't think about this because we're Gentile people. Imagine being a Hebrew. Now Guys. You know the king is coming through where? Judah. God has done said the king is coming through Judah. Now, where's the priest come from? The priests are coming through Levi. As a matter of fact, Levi was the servants, and, and you couldn't even be a priest unless you come from Aaron. Now, Aaron's oldest son was high priest, but all of Aaron's descendants were the priests, and Levi was servants. And so, you, so D- as David was meditating, God says, this guy is king and he's going to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. I mean, in, in Israel, you never had a king who was a priest. You never had a priest who was a king. Couldn't be. Two different tribes. But he's going to be a priest after Melchizedek. I mean, what a strange character, this Melchizedek guy. And who is Melchizedek? I know you've heard many sermons on it. This goes all the way back to Abram. He shows up out of the blue. Now, the Jews got a problem with Melchizedek. He don't fit. I mean, in, in Israel, to the Hebrews, if you're going to be a priest, you have to know where you come from. You know, you know we talked about this. We've studied the tabernacle about, the. you know, you, you go back. You know the verse, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Who's Jesus talking to? He's not talking to Gentiles. He's talking to Jewish people who had a heritage. So to go up to the priest and claim that you're a priest and not have your genealogy to back it up, they would say, depart from me, I never knew you. You don't have any authority. You don't have any right. So... I couldn't come and claim I wanted to be a priest. They would, I would bring my genealogy and my genealogy would say, you're the tribe of, of Naphtali. Sorry, Charlie. You can't be a priest. Depart from me. I never knew you. You don't have any authority here. But, so they had to have a genealogy. They had to prove they came from Levi. They had to prove they came from Aaron. I mean, they couldn't come up and say, well, you know what? I pray a lot more than that other guy over there. I pray all the time. Well, you're from the wrong tribe. You can't. It's impossible. You either come from Levi or no. The, so your authority was based on where you came from. Your, I mean, that's the reason they would call on the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's why they would call on him. It meant something. Now, Melchizedek didn't even bother to keep a genealogy. The scripture said he was without father and mother. In other words... It didn't say he just appeared on the scene. It means he didn't bother to keep a genealogy. And let me tell you something else about this guy. He was other people of Canaan. Canaan, the Canaanites come from Ham. Anybody remember who Ham was? Ham was the guy who was cursed. He went in and saw Noah's dad naked and went out and told everybody was naked. And he was cursed and sent out. And he had a son named Canaan. And they, uh, they inhabited a land called Canaan land. These were the cursed people. And they had a priest in that land uh, who was also a king named Melchizedek. And the prophecy, when David asked what's he going to be like, and he says he's going to be like that priest of Melchizedek. So the Jews said, no, we just need to. We need to wipe Melchizedek out. We don't need him around. This this, this doesn't fit. They have a problem with it. He doesn't even belong to Israel. He belonged to Ham. And the strange thing about when Abraham was returning from rescuing Lot, from the battle, Melchizedek meets him on the side of the road. And, And check this out. Melchizedek comes with bread and wine. And he says, you know what, let's have a little fellowship. Now, if you're a priest, guys, you don't do that. A priest don't come with bread and wine. I mean, you're a priest. What does a priest do? A priest is supposed to have an offering in your hand. A a priest is supposed to have a bloody sacrifice. And uh, I mean, here's a priest who doesn't even have an offering. And he's from the cursed people of Canaan. And then I got something worse for you. He doesn't even have a temple. I mean, if you're going to offer a sacrifice, you've got to have an altar, and you've got to have a bloody sacrifice, and you've got to have a temple. And here comes Melchizedek. He doesn't have an offering, and he doesn't even have a temple. And he's from the wrong people. And God told David, this, this one, when he's crowned king, will be a priest after the order of Melchizedek. This guy who shows up to Abraham on the side of the road and says, Hey, let's just have a meal on the side of the road. But you guys know what happened. Uh, Levi, who was in Abraham, he's a grandson of Abraham. He's, He's in Abraham. That's the way the Jews saw it. Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek and says, You're my priest. Now, what about Levi? He's not even born yet. That meant what Abraham was saying here, this is all it means. It means Levi was paying tithes too, meaning that Melchizedek was a greater priest than even Aaron. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. He was a greater priest than Aaron. God tells David that when this one comes, this one that you guys have been waiting for all along, he'll be a priest after the order of Melchizedek not after Levi. Now, I'm just giving you some history here. Uh, imagine this little nation, Israel. Now, I mean, you guys can look at it on the map and know Israel is quite, quite small. I mean, imagine you're getting these words here. That the king is going to come from you and is going to be the king. It would be something if we said, okay, the king is going to come from America. Because we're the biggest and we got the most money and the most mighty empire. Or the king at that time is going to come from Egypt where they're the biggest. Or a Babylon or Syria. But they're like a little mouse. Israel is like a little mouse. I want you to understand that. They're a, they're a nothing people. And you're telling me that this one is, is going to come and rule over all the nations of the earth. He's going to be higher. He's going to be the king of kings. You know what the nations did? And here's another psalm. Psalm 2. They laughed. They laughed. They couldn't believe it. I mean, look what he says. Uh, psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set, uh, uh, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Against the Lord and against His anointing, saying, let us pray. I mean, they're getting there saying, can you imagine this? That God has said, He's going to raise up a king to be over us. They laugh. They said, we're not going to have this king to rule over us. Let us cast his cords. No way. And you know what, God? I mean, when David is writing the psalm, I just want you to hear this. And David is writing the psalm; he's hearing, and he's writing down what he what he's hearing. And he and he hears this: uh, "He that sits in the heavens shall laugh, and the Lord shall have them in derision." And then he'll speak in his wrath and vex him in his sore pleasure. And and he hears God speaking. And remember he's meditating. What's what's my my son going to be like who's sitting on the throne, what's he going to be like? And he hears God say, "Yet I've set my king on my holy hill. I don't care how much the nations laugh. I don't, have, I don't care how much America thinks they're in charge, or China thinks they're in charge or Russia thinks they're in charge. I, don't, I, I hear the one in the heavens laughing saying, "I will set my king on my holy hill." Now Remember, John writes this as this greeting, who this greeting is coming from us, uh, coming to us, the ruler of the kings of the earth. The nations say, no, we're not going to have it. And God says, I don't really care what you think. I have said it. I will. I've done it. He says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And, you know, he, he, he hears his son speak. Imagine, he's, he's through the ages, he hears the voice of his son. The Lord said to my Lord, sit there on my throne. He hears the voice of his own son speaking in this psalm. And it's this one, I mean, and this one now, now remember what he said. Be wise therefore, O ye kings, you ones who are sitting there laughing. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and, re- and, and, and rejoice tremble trembling. Kiss the Son. He's saying, this one that you're saying, cast him off. We won't have this guy rule over us. We want nothing to do with this one who comes from this little bitty speck of a place down there. Israel, we want nothing to do with him. And he says, beware. You better kiss the son, at least he be. you better get to know this son because he's the one that I'm telling you about that's been promised. He's the one. Kiss the son. So they waited again. They waited. So David has a son. He has many sons, but he he has Solomon. Solomon messed it up. We think Solomon was so wise. He was wise. You know this guy had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He was an idiot. 700. And you know each one of those wives they came in and they brought their own gods. So They had their, they had, they had a mess. That's why they couldn't go to battle. They had a mess. They had, uh, you know, they set up their he, had their, he was trying to please all these people. And you know what happened? Uh, he has a son Rehoboam, and Rehoboam he was a he was a scoundrel, and they levied heavy taxes. And if you think the riots going on in Canada is the first time, I will tell you what they they had riots going on all the way back then over taxes. They had levied so many taxes that Israel split. Ten tribes went to the north under Jeroboam and set up another. Kingdom up there. They were called the kingdom of Israel. And the, and Judah was left down here all by themselves. All they had, Levi, who wasn't even counted. And these scraggly people, Benjamin, later down the line, that's where Paul would come from. But they really wasn't much. So they're left all by themselves. Now imagine, I'm just trying to bring this story around to you. Imagine you're told, David, you're told the king is going to come. You're thinking Solomon is it, and the next thing you know, kingdom is split. What you thought couldn't be divided now, now uh, because they can't come back to the temple, they set their own calf up up there in Dan and they're worshiping up there. They won't have nothing to do with you. The the whole kingdom of split, is split. Split right down the middle. So as we go on and and read in these things, you you can See it all in the in the scriptures. I mean, what a mess they had. One day, uh, one of the kings of 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 Judah, or king of Israel, uh, Ahaz, and he has this prophet there named Isaiah, and Ahaz he's not he's. He's under a lot of pressure. They're about to be attacked. A couple of kings is ganging up on, up on him. He's going to check his, his uh, fortress and see how good it is. And, and uh, Isaiah shows up and, and says, uh, Don't worry, I want you to know. Because remember, there's a promise here of, of one coming. And Isaiah says, You know what Ahaz? Don't worry about it. God is with us. He's got this, and just so you know, you can ask God anything. Ask God, and He'll He'll tell you. And oh Ahaz, now he gets religious. You know, I'm not gonna do that. You know, actually what he's really saying to Isaiah is once you get out of here and leave me alone. I've got other stuff to do. I ain't got time to play religion here. We're about to be attacked. We got all this other stuff going on. We're about to be attacked. And and so I, Isaiah says, Well. Hear ye now, O house of David. Right? When he says house of David, he's going back to this Davidic covenant, this very promise. And he says, I want to tell you right now uh, that uh, a virgin shall conceive. Here's going to be the sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. And you know, you, you skip right on over to uh, chapter 9, you hear it, you hear it again. Uh, a child is born, a son is given. He's still talking about this one, talking to the house of David. And the government, what is the government? I mean, this is kingdom shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called what? David's wondering, what's his name going to be? His name's going to be wonderful. His name's going to be counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. What, uh, I mean, this is who John is telling us prince. Of the kings of the earth, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and with justice. Now, as we go on down through these kings, you get good kings and bad kings. And I, I'm going to hurry up here. And I want to bore you to death. but The last real king... Uh, was Jehoiakim. Now I know Zedekiah was one, but he was a puppet king. Jehoiakim was the last one. Now think about this, the last real king of Judah here, he's led off in humiliation, led off in chains to Babylon. So you're thinking, I thought a promised son was going to come, who was going to sit on the throne and look at the last king of David, led off in chains. Now, a couple of those kids that went down into captivity, I don't know if you knew this, one of them, uh, one of them was uh, Ezekiel. You realize Ezekiel was in Babylonian captivity? I mean, he's giving hope to the people down there, but they had another one. and, and I, Now, this kid was smart. He was really smart. He went to the uh, University of Babylon and graduated number one in his class, valedictorian. His name was Daniel. Daniel was a very sharp guy, so sharp that that King Nebuchadnezzar moved him up the ladder, up high in the government. As a matter of fact, if you you, uh, go read that book of uh, Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar is king of Babylon. This is a great king. And you remember he has that dream? And he calls in all the people to interpret the dream, but the strange thing was he forgot the dream. I know I dream, dream, but I don't know what it uh. Well, Daniel comes to him and interprets the dream. He said, "God, tell me what the dream is." And he has this dream about this man with a head of gold, and and Daniel says, "You know that head of gold? That's you, Nebuchadnezzar. There'll be will never be another kingdom like you. You're you're the highest, and then, then, then the breast and." And all that silver and gold, he said, the Medes and Persians, they'll be, they'll be great, but they'll be lesser than you. Then he goes on to describe the Greeks. And then finally on down to the Romans, the ten toes and the iron and the clay, they won't get together. He said, they'll be so, so cruel, they will rule with iron an iron fist. And he said, they'll all be lesser than you, Nebuchadnezzar. But nevertheless, they all make up one kingdom. But he says, yet in that, there'll be a, another, a stone, hewn out of the mountain, not made with hands. And that little stone shall come to that, that great man and dash it to pieces. And not only will he dash that to pieces, but that stone will fill the whole earth. I mean, you, you, you get, a, you get this, this picture here. Now, let me just hurry up here. As time went on, Israel got so scattered. Even when they came back from Babylon, Zerubbabel brought them back. He was a, he was uh, he brought them back, but he was it, it did, nothing looked like like David. I mean, who's it going to be? And when they come back. They are, they're so scattered. The genealogies are, are wiped out. They're, they're, I mean, you know, they have to go down to find the records. And then here's this little girl down there named Mary. You know, if all things were right in Israel, she would have, she would have been called Princess Mary. And if things would have been right, Joseph would have been called King. But now things are in such a mess. He's a carpenter. She's a peasant drawing water from the well. And these two little kids fall in love. I mean, do you ever think, I mean, how could this be? How could this king come in? I mean, we thought it would have been something if he would have been born right there in this, in this great cathedral. But now we got these two peasants. But if you go back and look at your genealogies. This goes all the way back to Genesis. This one that'll come. This one, he'll be the king. He, thou art my son. He'll be the one. Shiloh. He'll be the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I, I'm telling you, when it they fell in love and the angel, she comes to, to visit Mary. And you know what Mary says? How can this be? I mean, the Holy Spirit comes to her, this angel, and says, "You know, you're going to have a child. His name will be Emmanuel, God with us." And I mean, come on, Mary, how how can this thing be? And and what did the Holy Spirit say? The, the Holy Spirit, he tells her, the Holy Spirit will come on her, and she'll conceive and bring forth this son. A man. I mean, she's the new Eve. I don't know if you guys ever ever look at it that way. She's, she's the new Eve. She's the new Eve. And then here's Joseph, and, and you know, Joseph finally believes. I'm just getting through the story here real quick. But then there's another prophecy that says, wait a minute, guys. See, they're in Nazareth. But the prophecy says that this one is going to be born in Bethlehem, Ephratab. They're in Nazareth. That's 70 miles north. And you know, they wasn't reading this Bible like we are. Oh, what, what do we got to do next to fulfill the prophecy? They're trying to, trying to get their head around Emmanuel, God with us. All the way across the Mediterranean Sea, up in Rome, Caesar has this idea, I want to have a census, tell everybody to go back to the land of their fathers. What does Joseph say? I'm of the house of David, i got to go back to Bethlehem. And if you go back and look at the genealogies, the genealogy in Matthew is the genealogy of Joseph. You go back and read the genealogy that's given in Luke, and it's the genealogy of Mary. Both of these two different branches of the same tree. They meet, they fall in love, and now here is Mary, nine months pregnant. They just barely make it to Bethlehem when I say barely made it, just in the nick of time so much that the, the hotel's full. They got no place to have this baby. They ain't got no hospitals, no emergency room. And so they got to go over to the inn or to the manger where, the, where all the camels and donkeys are parked. And there she brings forth The promised one, promised to David, all through the scriptures, this one who was promised, you would think he would be born in a palace, and he's laid in swollen clothes in a manger. Now, some of them got it. You know, I, I think what it would be like to be Simeon eight days later when they bring him up to the temple. And Simeon, they just rejoice. And, oh, my God, this is the one. This is, the, this is that horn right here. This is the power. This is the salvation of Israel. Right here, I'm holding this baby in my hand. He don't look like much, does he? I mean, if you was to go to the nations and say, look, king of kings right here, what do the nations do? They laugh. He's got no political background. Look at his mom. She carries water from the well. Ain't got two nickels. Look at Joseph. I mean, the best thing he can do is make a door, and you're going to tell me their son is going to sit on the throne of David? Look at this baby. He stinks. He was born in a manger down there. No uh, swaddling clothes. No gold blankets. No lotion for his skin. You know, he's pretty rough. The The nations laugh. And, you know, all the way up through that, they couldn't conceive that this was Jesus, that it, that he was the one. And even so much so that his own disciples didn't get it. His own disciples, they didn't, they didn't get it. And then that, that day, they crucified him on the cross. I won't go into into the book of Luke. But what happened after that? I mean, they're on the road to Emmaus, and what happened? I mean, they start discussing amongst themselves, we thought he was it. We thought Jesus was it. Then look how it ended I mean, every time we think this is it, look how it ended. It ended with, with David's last son, King Jehoiakim, led off into Babylonian captivity. Look at it. It's a mess. Look, look how this Jesus who we've praised and worshipped and, and all these promises, we thought it was it. And look how it ended on the cross. Crown of thorns on his head. We thought he would be crowned after Melchizedek. And look, he, he dies naked on the cross and they're gambling for his clothes. But you know, I always uh I love that and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna quit right here. Mary. Not Jesus' mother, but but Mary. So I mean, he's it. Where is, G- where is my Lord? That's what she says. Where is my Lord? Where, is, where have you taken him? She goes to the very tomb. I mean, uh, you know, the law has got it. You can't go there for three days. They're in Passover. I can't go down there. We can't even anoint the body. We wrapped him up quickly, threw him in the grave, rolled a stone over. We've got hundred pounds of spices here. We've got to go down there. To I've got to go anoint my Lord. And she gets down there to the temple, or she gets down there to the grave, and the stone is rolled away, and there's an angel, and she don't even care. She looks in. Where is he at? Where, where is my Lord? Why are you weeping, Mary? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. Oh, I don't know. She don't even get it. Just just tell me where he's at. I've come to anoint the dead. That's what she thought. I've come to anoint the dead. And she's looking. And even Jesus himself, who shows up to her as the gardener. And he asks her the question, whom do you seek? She said, I'm looking for Jesus. Tell me where he's at. Tell me where you've laid him. Tell me where you've taken him away. And Jesus just says these words, Mary. I don't know. Do you ever just let yourself go into mine and go to that garden, go to that day and 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 hear those very words? Mary. Spoken to this little woman. Just like he had spoken to Eve all the way back down there in the garden. There's one coming who will crush the head of the serpent. And now he says it again to Mary. And he just says the word Mary. I mean, she began to rejoice. And she starts hugging all over him She says, touch me not. Don't don't hang on to me. I've I've got to go back into sin. And he says, you know what? You're going to do something now that you've never done before. He's going to be not only my God and your God, but my Father and your Father. And this, this Jesus tells her, all power in heaven and in earth is given to me. Go tell my disciples and Peter that I'm risen. John, let me go back here and read that again. That's why, I mean, this was so exciting because you remember not long after this, Mary goes back and she tells the disciples and Peter and John race down to the tomb and, and Peter uh, looks in and, and, and John, they, they, they look in and they see the angels and all this other stuff. But they hadn't quite met Jesus yet. And it's this one that John is writing about right here And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. First begotten of the dead, not begotten of Mary. Begotten of the dead. The first one who rose victorious over the grave. Over everything that would keep us, separated us from God. And the prince, the ruler of the king's of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us loosed us from our sins in his own blood when John writes that John is bringing all of the history of Israel together and says that's the one who's coming to you who's giving you this greeting who's, he's the one he's the one All the way back in Genesis. They come through Noah. They come through Sham. They come through Abraham. Who come through Isaac. Who come through Jacob. Who come through Judah. Who come through David. All of these. He's the one. He's the king that rules over all the kings of the earth. So no matter what. And I emphasize this. So no matter what. Fox News says. Or CNN says. Or who is the premier or the prime minister of Canada. Or the president of the U.S. or the president of Russia. Or whatever they call themselves in China. They may laugh. But John wants you to understand who this is. This is the king of all kings. Whether you like it or not. This is Shiloh. This is the line of the tribe of Judah. And he tells the nations in Psalm 2, you better get to know this king. You better kiss the king. You, you, or I'm telling you, and I'm not saying that as a, as a warning, but letting all the kingdoms of the earth know they shall be dashed to pieces by this one stone that shall fill the whole earth. Anyway, I better quit with that. I go on and ramble and talk about this king all day long. I'm going to quit with that. We'll talk about him more next week.